This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Bear Boat Alaska, a pure DIY hunting game with one of their 37-foot adventure yachts. You and five of your friends can hunt, fish, set crab pots, shrimp pots, and take DIY to the next level. Bear Boat Alaska is locally owned by a Ketchikan resident who lives here year-round. Call Larry at 907-617-4542 or go to bearboatalaska.com. That's B-A-R-E boatalaska.com and tell Larry you heard about it on this podcast. I had a good solid hit that that guy never booked. Two, I've had a couple. Yeah. But then I got a guy coming back that came last in the spring and got a bear. And then he wants to come back and go duck hunting. Oh, nice. That's good. So, um, I didn't really think that was a thing. But so. uh, people are looking at, to do a whole bunch of different stuff. I know when I was in California, there was there was duck season and there was a public land area that you had to go to, and it was like a race to get out to the good blind because the, right. the other ones were just terrible. So I think people who like to to they, do that stuff are they know the strapped nuances. for opportunities. Yeah, yeah. Right. In, unless you have you know all the money to be a part of one of those clubs. Right, where it's five grand to be a part yeah. of it, so the that you can private land, yeah, so that you yeah. can book your five hundred dollar weekend or whatever it is. So, yeah, I think people want to come up here and have the experience for ducks too. So, back okay. here with Larry Jackson, that was that was our intro. That it was, was our one minute intro. We're just rolling. Oh, we're, we're hot. We're going. coming in hot. <laughs> uh, do you miss guiding out of uh, Knuts and Cove at all? You miss well, being on this end. So I did that for almost twenty seasons. Mostly cruise ship stuff, um, you know, and we we can see where we'd fish right out here. And, you know, it becomes a little bit of a Disneyland, you know, ride. It's the same kind of thing every day. And then, so then the pandemic come along, they shut down the cruise ships. And it, so it was a little bit of a shock at first, but then I like, wow, I like this. Yeah. I like not having the... You know, you get into a routine of it. You have the same spick, stick and spiel every day. You know what, you know, and the one thing you do is you see, man, the progression of fish through the season because you're out there every day. So that said, um, I, I, I guess I kind of miss, maybe I should say it this way. I miss the money, but I don't miss the, <laughs> yeah, the actual, I, I took a few charters this year just with some local friends and stuff. And after I got about 10 pinks, I was ready to throw the talent because it's a little bit of a deja vu yeah 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 so there's my long answer to a short question yeah yeah i live in the south part of town now uh we're talking off air just about how it kind of feels like fall down there because you don't see as many fishing boats people kind of cruising past uh every every once in a while but up here at the north we're looking at 10 15 boats that are all trolling for cohos this is kind of the hot um time for that and it's also the derby weekend so it's kind of interesting to... Yeah, it's gotten known here over the last 10, 15 years or longer that there's these silvers going by here. And so the Knuts or the Clover Pass rental fleet is out there. The lodges are all full. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it's a really ideal bear boat situation because, you know, it's deep. It's pretty forgiving. Um it's fairly sheltered from, and it's close. I mean, you, you, the people don't have to run that far. Um, from both 
aspects, the renting side to the, the you know, the person doing the um, overseeing of the rentals, you know, it, it's got a lot of pros to it. You mm-hmm. know? So, yeah, I mean, it's ideal. It, of course, as we mentioned um, before, it's kind of a, a subsidized fishery in the terms yeah. of it being mostly hatchery fish. How much have you seen change over the years? Because obviously... The, when I first uh, moved back here, and I grew up on Prince of Wales, and so there was the King Salmon Derby that was for May and June, and then July and August, and you tend to see a lot of good kings in May, June, and then July and August were some of your bigger kings, but there weren't quite as many around. This derby used to be a King Salmon Derby. Oh, yeah. So, and it was the, it started on, this is Labor Day weekend. It, it was the opposite. It started on Memorial Day weekend at the end of may and you're right we had these well starting in the 50s or whenever they it was a uh, chamber of commerce king salmon derby so um yes it's changed now we don't even have that in part that is mostly because the king salmon wild king salmon stocks that come out of those mainland river systems the eunuch river the chickaman river um those stocks have just been in decline and they um they are w- yearly up there with biologists um and the stikeen river too uh they're all um they they monitor those stocks and uh they're just have not been able to get them to come back for whatever reason um so they eventually here just a few years ago said oh we're not even opening up for kings until june 15th which i think allowed the wild fish to go by here mm-hmm. to try and get them back into those big rivers. And then uh, most of the kings you're catching after uh, the 15th are um, hatchery mm-hmm. fish. So that's kind of the the main change. Um, so, you know, that's unfortunate, but hopefully it, it works. But there's still a little bit of mystery why some of those hatchery stocks survive, but the mainland river stocks haven't yeah that's such a tough thing to look at people want to blame one specific thing but it's a little bit of everything and a little bit of everything that then chips away at the whole at uh people want to blame just charter fishermen they want to blame just commercial it's like well there's a lot well i've heard people blame the commercial fishing of herring stocks you know Mm but it, it you know on its face i don't think any of those things particularly um hold and i'm not a biologist they probably have a better sense of it than i do but um you know there's obviously enough herring out there to support these other critters from whales to sea lions to silver salmon Mm -hmm. you know and some people say there's an inverse to survival to the temperatures in the north pacific and the health of the you know, the Gulf of Alaska and North Pacific to the survival of fish. Um, so, but that doesn't particularly explain those particular mainland king runs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, who knows why? And maybe those fish are just more, there's a, maybe there's a tipping point on a, a stock survival too, you know, where they can't get them over a certain threshold to then rebuild that genetic diversity and that volume of survival, you know, cause you I think there's, I don't remember what the statistic is, but you know, of the, there's probably only 5%, I think that survive. 
Yeah, it's real low. Yeah. Yeah. So if you think about that, if you have some wild king spawn on the Enoch River and you get, let's say you get 50,000 spawn, well, what's 5% of 50,000? 2,500? That's not much. Yeah, yeah. and then they get, ca- some of those get caught along the way and, uh, you know, maybe commercially and sport-wise, maybe you're down to 200 to 500 that might make it in the river. Is mm-hmm. that really enough? Yeah. You know? Yeah, you start doing the math on that, and you think it's it's amazing that there's anything left at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, I, th- I thought about that, too. When you look at, if you actually go out here and look down that shoreline of Benton that we're looking, staring at, and you, you'll you see this, uh, it looks like arm, armada. Yeah, you know? it's crazy. And and you think, well, how in the heck does a fish get by here? But it's remarkable how, um, same with commercial fishing, you, you, know, you think, oh, my God, they persane's out there, they're going to kill them all. Well, these fish go under, around. They yeah. come from different times. They uh, they come from different angles. You know, so these guys are all fishing over here. Hell, there's probably a whole pile of fish on the other side over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know that. That was when Abby and I was were, were fishing this last year about this time when we had the boat, just launching after school, going out there for a couple hours and trying to get you know two, three, whatever. Yeah. But there was always, all right, should we go across to Valner because maybe that's where they're really at, you know, or maybe yeah. the the bite's not there and it's or they're offshore a little bit, offshore a little or bit, or they're on the Cleveland Peninsula side, you know. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty fun. Um, how long have you lived in this house? And in that time, how much change have you seen as far as the the king salmon fishing fleet, the silver fishing fleet, the kayaking, all that stuff, and the the DIY movement, uh, the bare boat movement? How has that all changed? Well, I think you know originally it, it, it you know Clover Pass was one of the original resorts right around the corner here, and it was all skiffs. Everybody mm-hmm. fished out of a sixteen foot smoker craft or Lund or whatever. And and what you're seeing is as there's more and more. Uh, these self-guided operations, lodge operations, you know, us, the Chinook Shores are next to us here. Throw a little shout out to them. They have, they have some great little boats. Yeah, well, they, the wealth of the boats, the yeah. the, the number, number and size, and um, just uh, that's all increased. You know, even uh, Clover Pass, which I said had started out with skiffs back in the 70s or whatever, 60s. Well, now they have these covered, uh, you know, aluminum uh Thunder jets or whatever the make yeah. is, I can't remember the make of their boat. But so you got more comfort, you know. You go from these open skiffs to maybe a little sheltered boat, and then I think the same things happen in the charter fleet to a certain degree. Yeah, you know. So you got more wealth in there, and you know. So then you get a certain level of volume of, you know. There, I don't. There weren't a lot of people. There were nobody doing these little things like we do with two or three boats. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you had Knutson Cove. You had maybe Clover Pass, and then. You know, uh, you know, maybe a lodger like the Silver King Lodge. Start, you know, these guys are twenty, thirty years old. Used to be, you'd fly out to different lodges. You know, and, yeah. And even those lodges, I was when I was a kid. Our family friends are the ones that started um, Waterfall Resort. Mm, okay. They converted it from a cannery to a lodge in the mid seventies, and that was all skiffs. Yeah, <laughs> it, they just. Their latest iteration has gone from kind of a smaller, more efficient, fuel-efficient boat to North Rivers. Yeah. And they have 40-some. Is that how many they have it's out there now? It's crazy yeah. being over there. And I remember growing so up on Prince So it's all Wales. self-guided in big North No, that's all, those are all guided. I don't oh, think there's any guided. self-guided okay. ones. But still just the, you know, if they have to make a pretty long run yeah, to, right. to get to those, uh, to those areas. Um, 
but growing up on Prince of Wales, everyone had fiberglass, bay liners, things mm-hmm. like trophies. Glass um, plies. Yeah. Yep. And then when I started coming back during the summer, I started to see kind of the evolution to aluminum and started seeing these lodges and some of the local places would have, you know, a boat and then a, a bed and breakfast type thing. Yeah. And then you had the big lodges, Fireweed Lodge, had fiberglass boats, and they switched mm-hmm. to a smaller, fuel-efficient, low-profile that was good to troll, didn't catch the wind. Um, but, you know, they had nine boats. That was pretty big. So yeah. To, to see Waterfall have to buy 30 or 40. Millions of dollars worth of. Crazy amounts. Yeah. And they've expanded to Steamboat Bay now. They have mm-hmm. that whole cannery there, too. So it's just. Right. I, I, it's, I can't even do the math. I don't even want to do the math. It just makes me. <laughs> Well, and, and I think like everywhere, there's a lot of pressure. There'll be a lot of pressure to exert, you know, they don't, there's no limitation particularly on bare boat. And there, there are, they are looking at some, the Board of Fish is looking at maybe changing the um, uh, retention on self-guided. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're guided, you have certain limitations, especially on ground fish, bottom fish, whereas in uh, unguided, you can keep the same. So I think, you're going to start to see probably some changes there. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I don't know if that'll affect as long as the money's coming, the boat stuff would probably just get better and better. Yeah. You know? That's the one thing I haven't seen a lot of on Prince of Wales is the self-guided fleet. Well, and I think it goes back to what I pointed out at the very beginning. Look at the convenience of this. Mm-hmm. It's close, protected, um, and, fairly easy to manage but let's say you try to you you know those grounds out there better than i do but you have to run a self-guided guy and try to direct him out to we have limitations on where our boats can go just because from an operator's point of view you think well if my guy is over there and he has a problem i have to go find him and mm-hmm. and, and and help him out or whatever you don't want him at cape shacken <laughs> well yeah. the other problem is that yeah. you have the variable weather and, and yeah. a lot of people don't get how quickly things can go from bad to worse. So yeah. I, my group this morning went to Pup and it was too rough for them. <laughs> and they left and they went back up Clover Pass to find a nicer place because they're just not used to yeah. w- fishing in these you know yeah. conditions. So. Yeah, that's the thing about the prin- outer part of Prince of Wales. There's a lot of different islands, but it's all on that outside. And so you can sometimes you can tuck back inside and you can get some fish but then there's you know on the way back in you're hitting a couple of really exposed channels and bays whereas well, here like, also, you're tucked in pretty nice yeah there's also lots of things to hit yeah yeah that's <laughs> just rocks yeah. logs and so forth so the further you run the more you add a, a kind of factor of um oh i don't know incompetence that can create problems yeah. so like I said, it's a little bit of a sweet spot. You don't see it in Juno either, the self-guided thing. Now, you do see it a little bit on those um, lodges in uh, Wrangell Narrows. You know, they have they have some unguided skiff fishing out of there mm-hmm. that seems pretty popular. Uh, you don't see it so much in uh, Sitka because I think it's just another the similar fact that the good fishing is out off mm-hmm. the um, Cape there, and it's a couple-hour run. And it can be treacherous. Yeah, you don't want to just let anyone <laughs> go out there. And, you know, you 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 when you were you were so uh, respectful and cautious when you started fishing around here. And I remember you even talking to me about it. You're like, <laughs> what what should I do here? Or where should I go? Yeah. And uh, and until you, you get scared a couple of times, you don't really realize how 
bad it can be. I was I was always trying to reduce it down to some. I could look at the weather forecast and I could say, as long as it's lower than this, if, if the wind direction is this and it's this, then I could go and I, and it was all good to go. But then I learned very quickly that that might make the waters really good for trolling right here around survey or pup or something like that. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, if you hit the tide wrong or you're over at, uh, you're trying to go across, like it's going to be a totally different, you get around Valner and it's totally different. Oh yeah, and the wind changes, oh, yeah. and then you know you hit it at a different tide, and I don't, I don't know if I became. It almost seems like I became more cautious um, the more experience I have because I had that 15 foot Boston Whaler and made a run uh, down to Thorn Arm to hunt, which is pretty exposed. And once mm-hmm. you kind of get around, I don't know where that island is in the middle. Bold Island, yeah, there, Bold yeah. Island. Um, it really starts to funnel in, especially oh, if you've yeah. got uh, got tide. But, I mean, just glass calm coming out. On the way back, there was a little bit of chop. But overnighted, did the little anchor thing, pushed it out there, and mm-hmm. you know, had the line on the anchor. So you pushed it out and then pulled the line, and then the, the anchor falls in the water. Um, and then made a run up to Trader's. With uh, with Abby and she was holding on to and the you're rails. And you're Yeah, and I I thought she was having fun because she's kind of an adventurous <laughs> person. But she said no. I was praying the whole time because <laughs> it was there was hardly any free board. You know, just it's just yeah, two two and a half footers with an occasional three in there. But man, if you're in a 15 foot boat, that's no, that's a lot of water. That's pretty big. And so like you can you can steer into them and you can be on the on the gas if you need to, but. You just can't turn, and that's the big problem. I to, I don't know if I told this story already on this podcast, but I had a group one time over there at Camino. You can see it from where we're sitting, right? And that Camino is like a convergence of three or four different main bodies of water, Clarence Strait, Beam Canal, Kassan, Tongos Narrows. Anyway, so they anchored up over there, beautiful, calm day, whatever, and then um, the tide changed. So it's flooding, let's say. Then the wind picked up. And it went from nothing to like a three to four foot chop. And they got back here and they literally <laughs> laid down on the dock. And of course it was bright, sunny, warm yeah. and calm right here. But they're like, they were, they were just, you know, grateful to be back yeah. tied to the dock. You're hitting all that broadside. I mean, oh. that's, that makes such a difference it's when you're rolling there. on it. Yeah. It's, it gets mixed I was really surprised the first time I've only been back to, to the eunuch once. But being back there and just the backside of the beam canal, plus all the water coming out of the eunuch and the chicken man, it was it was crazy to be that tucked back in there. To, but to have the weather or have the, the water yep. moving so much and be so bad. But as soon as you got, you know, down Gone the point. north part of yep. the uh, of the beam, then it was fine again. But man, yeah. it was it was coming up the backside of that pretty crazy. So you learn a lot of that stuff and you feel more confident. But it's well, and, and, and a good way that you know. It's great that we have this setting. I think as a economic engine, shall we say, you have this setting where people can come from, you know, all over the planet really and um, enjoy a little bit of catching fish in the wild. Um, they even enjoy the rain. You know, today mm. the guys are from it's uh, Denver. It's so hot. You know, yeah. summer and they're like, oh god, this is great. You know, they get to see a whale occasionally, and and really, the impact is, is pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're even catching um, these hatchery fish. Um, so, you know, and this has been coming since the you know these cruise ships started coming. 
and so forth. You could see that this, what I would call the extended stay kind of visitor industry was going to develop, and I foresee it will probably keep, keep going. Yeah. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them and using their service, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. I was hesitant about having to get a new phone and a new phone number, but with Mint, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone and your same phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or for a family, and at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and to get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com/waypoint. That is mintmobile.com/waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com/waypoint. Is that Kirk Deal that just went by in that skit? He's got that. Like that. Yeah, he's got the industrial. Yeah. Um, aluminum. That thing is sweet. We came back from, or he and I came back on from book club on that once. And that thing oh, is yeah. a, That thing is an awesome. Well, like Sean McAllister has one too. The Pacific Skiff. Yeah, those are awesome. Yeah. But Abby and I, not having a boat, have been thinking about when we get back into the game. Yeah, what, what do you want to get? Know, what do we want? Because we had the skiff and then upgraded to the twenty-one foot soft top. North River, North which River. was awesome. It was so great. But then as soon as we got that one, it was, uh, if we had a hard top, you put a raft up there, put kayaks up there. So it wasn't what we wanted. Do we spend the money to put oh, and then do you a want rack a bathroom? Of you know? <laughs> yeah, it's just, so now that we're totally out of the game, we're thinking, all right, do we want to just get back in the game, get a skiff and then do that? Or should we just save and get the boat that we want? It's uh, the classic dilemma. You know, yeah. of course, you know, you look across to that guy there. There's a sea wolf. They're all welded. Do you want an all welded oh, yeah. aluminum yeah, yeah. with a hard top? And then you got to have a bigger engine. Then you have all that goes with a bigger engine, a bigger mm-hmm. trailer. You know, more place to park. That, well, I I, I I saw this when I was a teenager, where I built the boat. Then I had to have a trailer for the boat. Then mm-hmm. I had to have a truck for the trailer. Then I had to have new tires for the truck. And then, you know, it's just this snowballing effect of, mm-hmm. uh, and then you got to use it <laughs> yeah because if you don't use it then you spend all the money on that and yeah yeah it's, that's where you know renters like me come in you know this guy uh past friend and associate of mine finally came back to this area and he was like well i want to buy a boat you know and he went through this ex- exasperating detailed investigation to find a boat and he i mean he did all this exhaustive research and finally he comes down to it, and he's like, the, one of the mechanics said, don't buy that boat. And he's now he's let go of this particular boat. But I said, you're a lot more money ahead if you're only going to use your boat a few times a year to 
rent. Yeah. Speaking of don't buy that boat, there's a skiff <laughs> that just went by. Yeah. It's definitely a, a modified job. It's probably 18 foot, 20 foot Lund. Yep. And it's got a uh, canvas enclosure. Yeah. A welded front. Uh, I don't think it's a walkthrough, but it's got a couple of windows and then it's got a canvas top. Some of those, you, and you see them on, on places where you can buy boats, buy, sell, trade and whatnot. And they've modified these boats into where I get a little nervous about stability, how maybe? it's going to sit. Yeah. Um, have you read, uh, oh man, what's that book? It's about the mysterious sinking of the Arctic Rose. And they took an old crab boat and they had tried to modify or a, a oh. So the they San, tried to, they Sandia's tried to, Rose? Ooh. Was it that? It was a crabber? I think it was the Arctic Rose. It, oh, was, okay. it was one of those where they'd modified it either from like a tender to a, a crab boat or, yeah, or, or yeah. back and forth. Um, and the modifications that were made on it made the boat so unstable. Mm-hmm. That's probably why why it went down because they didn't. there was no trace of it. Well, ever I have found. personal experience with this. Do you know that story? Oh, maybe. Well, tell I me? was on a, a purse saner, the Baranoff Queen that capsized. Oh, Back in 94 or 5, somewhere in there. And it was because it w- we modified it. And it was, uh, the boat is still in Ketchikan. You see it downtown. In the, but um, we put, and it was it's incredible how little amount of weight up high on a boat will make it unstable. And we had just, and I say we, I didn't own the boat. I was a deckhand, but the owner, um, we put some new rigging on, like a new boom and a picking boom. And, uh, you know, it had a bigger net than those boats were originally designed for with more weight, a bigger skiff. So all that stuff is on this boat up, up high, and it's running around without water in the tank. I think when the water's in the tank, it was perfectly stable, but we had n- no water in the tank, and the autopilot failed. It's, it's a long, laborious, fun story that probably we don't have time for now, but... Um, anyway, everyone survived, but the boat rolled over. In waves, were you making? No, we were in flat, calm water. The the autopilot um, malfunctioned, and when they do that, they have what they call rudder feedback. The rudder feedback came off. The autopilot doesn't know where the rudder is, and it just turns the boat hard over. Turn it hard over. We're going full speed, and it just flopped on its side. And I walked out one window with a skipper up to the keel as it rolled over. I never went in the water. The other two guys. Uh, did go in the water. We got them out of the water, and eventually, you know, not soon after that, another boat spotted us and picked us up. But the boat actually never sank. It, it just floated there, and we. The whole story is the whole saga of refloating it. And, um, anyway, so that's all stability thing that you're uh, right to be cautious about. Jeez. And just people. If you just put a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah. On, on a boat that's not, um, you know, it's not designed for just the weight of people. Um, can cause problems. Yeah. Uh, Rick Collins always sends me reels on Instagram about people like the qualified captain, I think is the name of it or boating fails or something like that. And there's so many horrible ones. Like the docking ones make me uncomfortable and kind of laugh. (laughs) The, the um, trailering boats kind of makes me laugh, but it's the people who are, you know, just plowing through waves. Oh yeah. Those river outlets with people in the bows. Oh my gosh. It's horrible. And just taking on so much or people jumping off the bow to get in the water and just, or I have a very, we we know of a a kid in our history here when I was a youth that fell off the bow as he was going full speed and went under the boat and was hit and killed actually. So, uh, uh, that's that, that, that thing on YouTube is, it's a little shout out. You can 
delete it if you want. It's called Boneheaded Boaters of the Week. Boneheaded Boaters of the Week? Yeah, right. And it's yeah. just a guy that does this. You can send him your clip of somebody doing something stupid. Now, that said, I, I'm, I'm just going to cover my arse. Uh, everyone's done something dumb on a boat yeah. before. So, yeah. But, you know, if you can learn from your... <laughs> Yeah. Your boneheadedness. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like the intent of uh, satirical websites is to mock for the purpose of bringing about some sort of change where you Hopefully, see the stupidity yeah. and think, oh, man, I didn't even know this was a stupid thing. But now I get this great example of what's the worst case scenario. So, uh, well, I yeah, my that. kids, I yell at them. Nick, we'll be in the skiff going somewhere and they want to hang over the bow. No, you can sit up there, but you cannot hang off. And then. I used to have a rule when I crabbed alone, I never went to the bow when the boat was in motion. Mm. I would only go up to set the anchor if it was just a neutral, you know, or whatever, or had to do something. I would never run, you know, crab my rig around up there while the boat, because if you fall in, you're done. Yeah. What about uh, shooting chucks, things like that? That was another thing about going up oh to traders. <laughs> Abby and I, we shot through, the tide was perfect. And but so you had it, it timed, right? Oh, yeah, it was perfect, yeah. timed through. And then we went to check it out and because there's a delay between what the tide says and right. the water's going to be moving through the chuck. And so we had to wait a little bit longer than I had anticipated until mm – because -hmm. it's like a river. It's like a, a full-on river coming that, through. Not only that, it's a waterfall when it's low tide. Yeah. You can't go through it. No. So we kind of hung out a little bit. A beautiful day. So, you know, tried a little fishing back there. We looked around, set a couple crab pots. And then uh, um, I waited – probably a good half hour passed when i thought it was safe just because i didn't want to have to i didn't want it to be marginal i wanted it to be pretty good and it just gave it some some gas and was able to ease on through that pretty easily but you could feel like the little waggle of the oh yeah it's like a river and then yeah. you know i think in a planing hole you're a little bit safer in the sense that you can kind of get on top of everything there but i always go through and you know my displacement holes so i'm very cautious i i just basically have a blanket statement to my my rental people that they don't go in there at any yeah. even if they think they can um so because there's just too many variables mm -hmm. if you don't read the tide right or if you're not sure there's a rock on the left going in i use the yeah. state of the right um these kind of things and one time i went around there and there's a dang snag that had fallen it might still be mm -hmm. there you know, if you come around there and get yeah. tangled up in that thing. Um, but, you know, I think like all things, if, if you're cautious and you know how to read a tide table, um, then, you know, it's fine. Yeah. It's really nice, too, that there are some apps that you can download that give you a better picture of the where of where things are. Um, and you can have it on the phone. So you have the tide table. You have, you know, when it happens. And some of these will work uh, when you don't have cell reception either. And so it kind of gives you an idea yeah. of how much of the... A little bay or inlet drains out I think on Navionics, too. there's a um, uh, West Coast Tide table, and you could, they actually have the different tide, I don't want to say buoy, but like stations, should we say. Mm. And in that particular app, you can take and you can actually use your finger and move the, and you can see the flow rate, um, you know, the highs and lows, the slack water times and so forth. It's basically a big sine wave mm -hmm. of the, of the, um, the currents and the tide levels. So, so here's uh, someone with a lot of frame of reference. We'll go to, to maybe two little topics here. First one, technology, when it comes to fishing, does it make 
for better anglers now or do anglers now use it as a crutch um where and that could be with with tide tables could be with gps with all those sort of things has it has it prevented Here's our I think. fishing I, I think the one thing where i the modern um transducers are good and the charts that show the what they call fishing charts they show you the contours like a topographical map you know there used to be the NOAA charts were all you know soundings that they took 50 years or 100 years ago mm-hmm. you know and they gave you a general outline of the contour of the bottom well now with these, these nuanced topographical style charting um programs you kind of see wow oh look there's a little ledger i never really noticed for like for bottom fishing i find it really particularly helpful um as far as seeing fish like i'm sure there's people have taken advantage of this chirp and mm-hmm. uh what they would call sonar. Mm-hmm. Stop it off. No, oh, no, we're good. Um, sonar application where you could see like a school of fish to the left. Yeah. That kind of thing. I don't know. Most people are not going to be able to take advantage of that at all. Yeah. They, okay. I, and I, I don't even explain it to them. But my bigger fear, unless at least our overnight extended day cruising boats, is they depend on the chart plotter without knowing how to use a radar. Mm-hmm. So you're in a low visibility situation. Like right now. Fuck. In the last 10 minutes, it's just moving in right now. And I just talked to a sea pilot about this the other day. People um, in their own little world see they're on their little chart, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, they have a massive cruise ship bearing down on them, Ooh, yeah. not even being able to see it or know how to get out of its way because they don't, you know, of course, uh, radar is real-time representation of the terrain and uh, boats around you the chart plotter is a representation and shows you on there and he can even be off based on the gps you know um positioning so on the most part the, the chart plotters are fairly accurate but i've seen it where i'm on land i don't know you've probably yeah, have, yeah, yeah. you know where the vessel's not where it is yeah. in relationship to the real shore so that was that's my biggest fear, and I try to reiterate it to people. You cannot depend on this in a low visibility setting. And yeah. So we don't have a lot of fog around here. Actually, this summer was probably the most I've seen in a while. But um, so, you know, if you're in places where there's like chronic fog, fog, <laughs> frog, <laughs> like in the Bay Area or something like that, I'd be really worried about people not being knowing how to use a radar. Yeah, I've talked about it with some other people on the podcast about what technology has done to hunting. And hiking around, you know, you, we've kind of, we rely on where we're at following that blue track that we're making on our phones. But, you know, if, if we lose the phone, break the phone or whatever, would we, we be able to get back to where we need to be? And what do you think? I think it's like you said, it's, it's a crutch. It's the same sort of thing. Like I grew up on Prince of Wales. And so you kind of know not to, if you get turned around, I know that things are going to be, it's a thick forest. Things are going to look weird. It's going to be really, really dense. And so that that initial panic that people experience and that claustrophobia that leads them to do, you know, a crazy thing of just running in one direction or something like that. And they get really, really lost. I'm used to the thickness of the forest. Yeah. So if I do get turned around, it's, I don't panic. I can be like, all right, well, let me, let me think here. Let me, if, if you do get a glimpse of part of a mountain or something or, or happen to, you know, hear a float plane or, or see a little bit of water, you think, okay, well, this is the water on this side. This must be this. And so I need to go this way. 
Um, but yeah, I think people who don't have a lot of experience outside that just rely on that, they would totally help us. I had a buddy who was mm. helping out with uh, search and rescue in Wyoming. And rather than assume people would go down to try to find roads or go out of this drainage, if you go out of this, just down out of here, this drainage eventually leads to the road. That sort of common sense doesn't necessarily make sense to people. Hmm. And so they're climbing up mountains to try to get cell phone service. Oh, so wow. their reaction is not well, counterintuitive. Yeah, in I, I'm in this bowl. So, so if I head out of this bowl, I'll meet a road, or I'll meet this river, and I'll be fine. I think that's usually I found. I've 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 been lost one time on a fairly bucolic hike. That it was my it was my thinking that got me lost, mm. not the yeah. terrain that got me lost. I didn't want to go downhill, so I actually went around the top of the mountain one time and came right back to my, su- my, my spot. I'm like, oh, you're just trying to follow a ridge that isn't here. Yeah. And so then I had to kind of back myself out of my brain. And I think that you're, what you're saying is people, their thinking gets them lost, not the actual terrain. Yeah. And, and I, that's happened to me too. I'm so worried about, okay, I got to stay right. Because if, if, I, if I go left, yeah. then you know, stay the right. So then whatever, you yeah. end up going too far right yeah. you know but then you can kind of check and you can figure some stuff out and also knowing just kind of how it feels um but i think yeah we we are woodsmanship skills um you know who would be good be to have good. a whole podcast on that with mcallister one of the guys from kvrs because they find people in all these yeah. situations there's that guy that went up just this summer with his son up the lunch creek trail right he got up there and realized he didn't couldn't find the trail to go back down and see so he eventually called and they went and got him but he was cold as you know there was late yeah. it got dark yeah. you know that kind of thing so well yeah that happens there were a couple of those there was one a couple of years ago where a little boy was left out there and passed away yeah yeah that um, was tragic there was one off um um deer mountain mm-hmm. where they you know they assumed that and this is have you read uh uh, Lawrence Gonzalez, I think it's um, deep survival. It's what happens no. psychologically when to people when they when they're in stressful situations, and uh, they were talking about um, navy aviator, aviators who were trying to land on um, aircraft carriers at night in storms. Okay, and how there can be alarms that are going off that say that the approach is wrong, and so they have to abort. But sometimes the pilot gets such narrow tunnel vision that's that they think that's safety. I need to land right there. That they ignore the red the alarm. Button, that yeah. the, it says no. You, your your approach is not right. Yes, there is safe, but the approach isn't right. So unless you abort and go around, you're going to crash. And they'd kind of alluded not to, not to the book, of course, but the one of the people that was coming down Deer Mountain, and where they went off. It was, they could probably see the lights of Ketchikan, but that's not where the trail is. Right. That's the shortest. It seems to be the safest. It's right there. It's so close. If I just go straight towards them, just, I'll be fine. Yeah. And that's, oh, that's. Yeah, there's cliffs all over up yeah. there. So a less um, sad topic, maybe going on to, to <laughs> technology when it comes to fishing specifically, um, rods, reels, lures, um, Prince of Wales is a lot more just the cut plug mooching program, whereas mm-hmm. over here there's a lot more trolling. Um, Scents, things like that. What have you witnessed over the years that's I, really actually helped? I think that um, there's – I think it's the tackle industry has just gone crazy. 
the amount of stuff that you see in the hardware on the tackle store now with the colors of hot spot flashers and yeah. all. I mean, my sister is a perfect example. She goes out in her lunch skiff with a lead weight and a cut plug and catches as much fish as the next person. And <laughs> it's the same thing they were doing 40 years over at Clover Pass in her lunch skiff. Mm-hmm. And then you have guys like me that are buying all these different color flashies, <laughs> flashers, different color hoochies, and you know, on and on and on. And you go, well, okay. Yeah. Is it really necessarily? Probably. Probably yeah. not. And I don't know about the thing here that's really probably made a difference is the the um, downriggers. You know, downriggers mm. have just metamorphosed into these really nice things that they didn't used to be. And you know, you go you have electric downriggers now, and um, fairly reliable. Even though I cuss them regularly, um, you know, in the, in the last twenty five thirty years, those are really gone from mm-hmm. you, know, you know lead weight trolling to. And I have a bunch of people that like to use um, those dipsy divers or those diving mm-hmm. type apparatuses, which I personally hate, but they love them for whatever reason. And, you know, it, it works. People, and I've caught quite a few of them because people out of skiffs that don't have downriggers use those divers. So their mm-hmm. gear, they don't know where their gear is. Their gear is way off to the side yeah. of them. They go by you. I've caught, you catch them on your downriggers, cables, you know. <laughs> so I don't know. It's probably just like everything. Humans love bright, shiny things, mm-hmm. so we we buy it. You know. Yeah. When I was in, living in California, and I picked up, uh, I think it was salmon, salmon and steelhead journal, and so I was just kind of flipping through, and they're doing king salmon fishing in uh, buoy ten or whatever that is in, in Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at the rig, and I thought, wait, what is this? There was, you know, this much line to a swivel. And then you have a bead, and then to this, oh my God, yeah. and your first thing, and then another leader to this, which is your this. There was like five or six different pieces of plastic, and then you finally had your hook. And I'm thinking, man, yeah, it's that's not what we do over on Prince of Wales. <laughs> like, how complicated do you have to make it? Um, I had a, go ahead. I think too, and I again, I saw this in California. Was there was a Bass Pro Shops? Once the Bass Pro Shop came in, you know, during your shopping season, that's your, you know. November, December, January, February, March, you have all these months where you can just look at stuff. And you can go yeah. to Bass Pro and you can look around and think, man, that might actually be pretty cool, oh, yeah. make a difference. So I think there's part of it, and I, I did that, I would go there and say, I'm going to use I'm going to use this uh, when I go back home to because maybe it will be better when, probably not, but, you know, I shopping my, season. My cousin, who is out using one of my boats right now, swears by black hoochies and, you know, <laughs> cut plug. But then... I told him, Mike, I, I don't, I don't think it matters for the most part. I've used green, and you, know, you put a twinkle skirt, a little bit of scent on there, and you're, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I try to explain to my guests daily that the way those hot spots are designed is they're designed to roll, and then they make the hoochie. The, that's one thing I notice about people not quite understanding the mechanics of things was the hot spot rolls, and it makes the hoochie dart. So the longer your leader, the less it darts. Shorter your leader, the more it darts. So if you want a lot of action, you, you shorten your leader up. You, you don't want less action, you make it longer. And then a lot of times I see put, people put hoochies behind like um, spinning um, f- uh, dodgers or flashers. Mm-hmm. They're just designed to spin real fast and reflect light. They don't actually roll. And so they'll, they're not really designed to have a hoochie behind them. Although 
people catch them that way. And yeah. the guys were telling me that mostly you put herring behind them or some kind of a herring setup. So I, I see that mistake made quite a bit. But then again, somebody goes out there. The, uh, the joke on me was my first day charter fishing out here in 99. I went out there. I had my hot spots on backwards. <laughs> I um, went out there, caught like three kings my first day ever yeah. guiding. Nice. And I came back and... Uh, Daryl Welk walked by the boat because he was fishing over here then, and he's like, and the guest had already left, and he pulled me aside. He said, "Do you know you have your flashers on backwards?" <laughs> I'm I, like, "Okay." <laughs> I have done that too, and that's the funny that like, you can get dialed into a program. This is how I run things. There's something about it wrong, but if it's been successful, oh, yeah. and you do it and you fish with confidence, then it can end up being right. And it's like, dude, why would anybody do this right now? This doesn't make any sort of sense. It's like the person who. <laughs> You know, who matches the hatch when they're fly fishing. Yeah, They get right. the exact they're same size yeah, and yeah. everything. Like, this is the exact size, shade, everything of what's actually hatching. And then someone else just throws out a streamer, yeah, you know, and just, it. there it goes. But, yeah. yeah it's, well, at, you know, do, what you do notice as a guy that's fished for years is you, you what you do is you, you kind of pare down your complexity and you 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 get what works for the situation you're in mm-hmm. so people are always horrified when they get on my charter boat and they go to use one of my poles and my drag is like super tight mm-hmm. well when you're catching a pink salmon you don't need all this loose drag stuff yeah. you're not I mean, because really what would happen is everybody would you get a fish on you'd hand them the pole if the drags were loose they sit there and real 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 fast and they're not really gaining on the fish because mm-hmm. it's so loose so then when the what happens is the especially on kings even you want a fairly tight drag in my opinion because you have to get the slack out after it releases off the dra- off the uh, yeah. the downriver clip well what happens is people be reeling and not gaining on any line and not taking up the slack and mm-hmm. the fish is just wagging his head and yeah. waving goodbye and so you know, there's that kind of thing, and uh, you know, so I dial in. I put, use all this heavy leader because I you're catching a lot of fish, and you don't want your um, leaders breaking. These production tied leaders will, will will often fray and break apart in no time. So you're using heavy gauge leader. I go to a single hook. The reason you use a single hook is because you catch a lot of shakers and you want to release them. You don't want to kill mm-hmm. them, so they're easy to release. Or if you get into the season where you get a bunch of pinks and you don't want to keep all your pinks. It's easier to release them on a single hook. Um, you, you use, you know, a little bit bait, maybe strip bait versus going with, like my guests that are here, they're going to fish cut plugs because they don't care about their bait mm-hmm. budget. They're just going to throw cut plugs at them all day long. Yeah. Whereas I would never do that as a guide because I'm too cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing too. Like if, if you don't have the right action on the cut plug after a while, if you've been trolling for a while and this is our problem, we have to check the bait over on Prince Wells. If you get a little bit of a, um, a jellyfish on there, oh, yeah, you get a anything little, something on there. on there, it's not going to work. Or after a while, if it's been spinning and you've been, even even when you're mooching, you can tear out the whole little bit oh, yeah. so you don't have the right stuff. So you got to yeah, check yeah. the bait a lot. Um, but yeah, I think that's what you're, everybody can catch fish and then your tiers are developed by the people who consistently do things well and if conditions aren't good, they still get fish. I'm going to throw a bone to Collins right now because that guy, when he was fishing out here in the cruise ship fleet, he caught he caught kings he was really good and he had a particular way he rigged his hearing that he, he outfished me all the time and he just knew how to do it and liked to do it that way and i had a different way i still caught some fish it wasn't like i didn't but he would probably double and there's other guys that are just well 
they have a system and uh, they do well at it. But there's other days when you you know you get into your rhythm and you're stuck, your gear's working and there's not you know that yeah. kind of thing. That was Abby and I were just starting to figure some stuff out and it seemed like if we fished at least it worked last year. Sometimes it could be year in year out, but we were fishing deeper and it was keeping the pinks off. We weren't getting as many yep. shakers, and so when other people were just sorting through pinks by by fishing deeper, it seemed like we had had kind of solved that, and it was good to start feeling that. Oh, you really discovered to, every guide's trick now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. You just start to feel like, hey, I got, I got something figured out, and it feels good. And then you, you put more years into that. And if next year it doesn't work, you find that middle ground. Or was it the depth? Was it what we were fishing? What was it? You know, was it where we were fishing? If we were out a little bit further, whatever. Oh, so yeah, you start to yeah. put all that sort of stuff together. It. Um, well, it, what it does is now you've catered, you've created your what preferred thing. You might, you've caught a few pinks you're not done with that you're trying to catch a co or two or a king and i used to do that because you know there's these guys going out i fished around these guys for 20 years so the you go out there and you think well really do we we really i've actually seen people on a charter get bored catching pink salmon <laughs> when you're on your 15th and you've yeah. lost and you've already lost you know another five to ten yeah they all look the same they all look the same and they're like well well okay you know maybe we should try to catch something else well so what you know you'll you do is you fish people not fish that's why mm. i say it so you'll say okay these guys you know they're, they're happy with 10 fish let's put this gold king spoon down at 110 let that thing wander around down there for three or four hours and every now and then bang mm -hmm. something happens I had a situation when I took took this uh, group of, I think they might have been Koreans or whatever, and uh, uh, we were fishing over in Blank Islands, and it was middle of summer sometimes. So it was kind of past king salmon season, and uh, so I'd throw in the herring down at 110 kind of to not catch pinks on it thing, you know, and it's just wandering around down. I kind of forgot about it over there. And uh, we caught, we were up to like, oh, this was a group, to, to back up the story a little bit. When I negotiated with them on the dock, they said, yeah, we want a bargain. You know, we want a uh, break because we got six people. I said, okay, um, you know, I'll do it for $100 a head or something like that. And they're like, oh, you're way too high, you're way too high. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. You know. So anyway, we get, he says, okay, we'll do $100 a head, but we want to, we want you guaranteed fish. I said, well, Oof. okay, guaranteed fish. Oh, I knew there was fish, so. But I, did, I kind of played it cool. I said, okay, I'll, I'll guarantee you one fish per person. But for everyone over that, I want an extra $10. Nice. Okay. So we go out there. Okay. We got to the seventh fish. $10! And I, I yelled out real loud, <laughs> and I throw it in the cooler. Nice. You know, and so every time a fish came over the rail, $10! Anyway, so back to my the thing. We're trolling along. We were up to like 19 fish, okay? Nice. You know? This king rod goes off. And, you know, as a guide, you know. You know... That wasn't a pink. Yeah. That thing, and then it, and it. My guide is my kind of standards. If it's taking drag, because I set my drags real tight. If it's taking drag, it's a king. Yeah. So this is on. It is a group reel went reeling. All five of these guys are around this guy, and he's oh, oh all across the back deck <laughs> reeling in this, you know, reeling in this king salmon. They get it in. It's a beautiful king. They're, oh, they're ecstatic, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we're going back to town. I said, here's the form to get the fish process. they like, oh, we don't want the fish. I'm like, what am I going to do with 19? <laughs> I think I had like 16 pinks, two silvers, a chum, and a king, oh, you know, that kind of thing. Funny. Yeah. Well, it's some different cultures. My brother and I were in, in Guam. The program was you take your guided tour out there, and you, and you catch fish, but then all the fish get 
you know, you don't, no one keeps the fish. Oh yeah. And so you go back to the dock and then people show up and they, it's kind of like the donation to the fish market and the people sell it. And that's part of their lifestyle. The person that comes yeah. down, the kid comes and, and cuts it. And then, you know, that's how they make some of the money back. And, and the guy was almost offended that we wanted to keep the fish, but we paid money. We want, we want to eat this. Yeah. Stuff, you you're know? a different it's, it's program. Different yeah. cultural uh, experience. Well, although I get quite a few over the years, people that want to give you the fish thinking you can sell it and you have to oh, try to explain to them. No, yeah. you can't. Cause I think in Florida you can maybe, oh, Texas. Interesting. you can sell sport caught fish here. Obviously there's a distinction from sport to commercial. So yeah. I, well, we, what I did for years and I, back to the guy that, the Koreans, I, I, we just, I, I talked to the Thomases. They were great. They filleted and processed the fish, and then we donated to the senior um, lunch program. Mm-hmm. So nice. By the way, did you happen to see when that uh, gray charter boat was heading out there and caught real close to that uh, kayaker that was uh, coming in by the yeah, marker there? And there was... gets to be a little bit of what I would call um, angst between the two. Yeah. Because you see the. The charter or the the kayaks and they're all friends. I, yeah. I know them all. I know the family that owns that the the kayak business. And I know the charter guys. Well, they start to get irritated that they have to keep driving around these kayaks, you know, and so then they cut through, you know. And of course, look, the kayaks are spread out of a quarter mile. Yeah, you know? yeah. So that, it's like, where do I go? Yeah. You know? That first one was it was he was he was trying to like cut the corner quick to beat the kayakers right. but then that first kayaker was kind of like the lead group and it was like well let's get in front yeah that was I, you don't know how close it was because I, it was our a vantage I, I know that's andrew i could see the boat yeah. from here yeah anyway um, we'll call, we'll show no it was it, it, they're already gone yeah for our, yeah but um yeah now it's a, it's a pretty wide thing and you know, for the most part they kind of stay out of each other's way but this last little bit here you have to be in front so i think what you have to what i've noticed over the course of the years is that um you know first everybody's pretty amicable come mid uh, um, July mm. to August. Everybody starts to get irritable because they've been accommodating tourists yeah. and biting their tongue. And then they start to snip at each other. Yeah. And then, you know, the different guides get on each other's nerves and then they get, yeah. irri- they gotta be irritated with somebody. So they get irritated with the kayaks, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, well, yeah. we've had lots of run-ins over the years as guides this is a whole nother nuance out here it's like a it's like its own little ball field you know <laughs> they're a playground should we say whereas we have all these self-guided people now mm-hmm. that are out there in their little rentals and they have no concept of the yeah. protocol uh, of chart of, of trolling so they'll cut across you or they cut across what we call the drag and the drag might be a certain loop rotation you know counterclockwise or whatever and they go across. Or I, I've actually run into, and I say that kind of mildly, we've bumped boats with these little um, Livingstons, you know, and nobody's ever heard. It's such a slow, it's like a slow yeah. collision, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, But it, it, it tempers flare, that's for sure. Yeah. And there's kind of what to do also when you hook up. Like if you think that you hook up and then – you know, you and the, all the water around you. Yeah. Then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then other people, you know, it's like, okay, this person's got a fish on things are a little bit chaotic. Maybe I'm going to move a little bit Get out of the way. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, well, that's a, well that's we're getting a, up on an hour and I got to go pick oh up Abby. God. She's walking around uh ward Lake. Oh yeah. She should be done by now. So, uh, yeah. Well, but, uh, thanks again. I don't for being know on. if we, it, it, it doesn't feel like we focused on much. But it was a lot of babbling. No, I think we got some good stuff. Good. We got some good stuff about uh, fishing. I think we got some good stuff about some history. Some interesting uh, 
observations. I think that's okay, why people well, listen. Okay, well, thanks, Jeff. So, it was yeah, fun. Thanks again for being on. Appreciate it. Okay.